Luke 10, verses 21 to 24. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for you, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over by to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Pastor Ross, um, there's a lot of visitors here this evening, so welcome everyone, and um, welcome also family. As you guys know, we are in our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, which means that we just are walking through the book of Luke week by week, listening to these different stories about Jesus, who he is, and why we believe in him, and why we trust him. And as you walk through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, bit by bit, you find that your encounter with weighty ideas and weighty truths that you might be tempted to save for another week, except that in God's plan, this is the week that these things have come up. So this is one of those weeks. Um, just to share my own story really quickly, I grew up in a Christian home and had a wonderful church that I grew up in where I heard all about Jesus. It, but when I was growing up, never really was exposed very much to discussions about how God's bigness, how God's rule of the world fits together with human freedom, human will, and human decisions. It was about 10 years ago when I was in college when I started to hear about what some people call maybe the doctrines of grace or big God theology. And it really sent me into a time of wrestling and praying and deep discussions, it was not easy for me. Because the, the, the things that Jesus talks about here in, this, in these verses relate to people's souls, relate to their well-being. So these are really big and important ideas. And so some of the things you hear tonight are going to be some big ideas. And if you're not sure what exactly they mean or sure exactly how you feel about them, that's okay because it took me a few years to get my mind and heart around some of these things. Now, I had a job. I was hanging some rain gutter for a summer. I had a boss who talked to me um, and shared with me some, some of these concepts and talked me through these things. And I was going to a church called Bethlehem Baptist Church, and the pastor there, Pastor John Piper, was preaching a sermon on, on John chapter 6. And the verse said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And, and God used that sermon to finally allow me to receive this idea that our God rules even in who comes to him and who doesn't. So if you're a visitor this evening, we welcome you. We're so thankful you're here. Um, what you're going to hear about tonight is both God's greatness and God's goodness, which are the two things that we really need to hear each and every day. How great God is and how good God is. 
And for those of us who are members here at the church, one thing that's really exciting is last week we heard about how God has sent out his people into the harvest to bring people to God. This week we get to peer behind the curtain and see the miracle of how that happens and how that happened to you. There was a day where you weren't a Christian and then you became a Christian. And one of the most important questions we can ask is how did that happen? And Jesus is gonna open up that curtain and show us behind the scenes how he did what he did when he saved us. So let's, let's take a look at these verses together. Verse 21 says, In that same hour, he, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what hour are we talking about in that same hour? So this is the hour his 72 disciples returned to him. He sent them out to go to towns and villages that Jesus was about to go to, and they got a mixed result. Sometimes they were accepted and received. Sometimes they were rejected and cast away. They come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, but rejoice not in that, but that your name are, names are written in the book of heaven. So the disciples come back and Jesus says, Rejoice that your names are in the book of heaven. And I rejoice also that God worked through you. Now when they come back, they got mixed results. When we go out and we try to work for God, and we try to love other people, it's really easy to be discouraged, isn't it? Like, it's really easy to be discouraged when you're trying to love people, and it just doesn't seem to go how you plan to do it. When these disciples went out, some things went according to plan and their hope, and some things didn't. Which makes Jesus' reaction really important to pay attention to. So Jesus isn't discouraged at all. He says he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to look at tonight is what causes Jesus to rejoice. I want to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. So we want to rejoice in the things that Jesus rejoices in. Mm -hmm. And one more thing, he says, it's in the Holy Spirit. The things that Jesus is talking about, we cannot rejoice on our, in on our own power. We need God's help to feel about these things the way God does. That's part of the problem of being sinners. Our hearts don't act like they're supposed to. Like, we're supposed to be sad about things, we're supposed to be happy about other things, and our hearts don't act the way that they're supposed to on their own. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit changes our hearts so that we act and feel about God and about others the way that we're supposed to. So Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And it's a picture for us of how we are also supposed to depend on the Holy Spirit to respond like Jesus responds. What does he say? What is Jesus rejoicing in? He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. 
What does that mean? What does that mean? So Jesus first calls his God Father. Father is a term that refers to God's goodness. Second, he says, Lord of heaven and earth. So he is thinking of God's greatness. So what is showing God's goodness and God's greatness? That you, Father, have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The truth that this text is laying before us this evening is that God rules even in who becomes a Christian. God rules in whether someone does or doesn't respond to Jesus. That is a weighty truth. And it's immediately hard to see how that's a good thing. And we're going to get there. But I just want to start out by affirming this idea that Jesus talks about his father as a king whose authority knows no limits. No limits. Mm -hmm. We always want God to be in charge of most things, but not everything. There's some things we don't want God to go there. We don't want him to touch. This is one of those areas. But Jesus says, no. God is in charge. God hides. And God reveals himself to human hearts. And he is great and he is good in doing so. Jesus first talks about hiding these things from the wise and the understanding. Who are the wise and the understanding? The wise and the understanding, and we're going to go to a few other verses to confirm this, are those who are impressive in the eyes of the world. Those who are successful in the eyes of the world. Those who are rich and prosperous in the eyes of the world. They're the people that we would think, man, if there's someone that God loves and God's blessing, it must be this person who's doing really well. Little children, on the other hand, are people who are ordinary, people who are not very impressive in the eyes of the world, people who depend on other people for help, for life, to be able to survive. The wise and understanding see themselves as independent of God because of their prosperity in their life. Little children often are prepared to trust in God because they can feel their dependence. I think little children is an image that refers to people of all ages who, like children, know that they need God in their life. Now what this is talking about, isn't that God only saves just people like this and not people who are successful or rich or famous? Because there's actually no one who God can save, and he loves to surprise us by saving people of all kinds. But when he exercises his authority and saves people, he oftentimes prefers the lowly and the weak. He oftentimes prefers the ordinary and unimpressive. He oftentimes prefers the people that the world and we don't prefer. 
why the church is such a messy place, such an ordinary place. Because it's the one place in the world that wants the most ordinary, the most regular. The, doesn't matter if you're successful or not. You are just as welcome here as a senator or a billionaire. Because that's the kind of community Jesus decided he wanted to create. So who does God love to save? He loves to save little children. How does he save? He reveals himself to them. What this means, really straightforwardly, is that if you're a Christian today, if you believe in God, you don't believe in him because you were good enough to trust him. You believe in him because he was good enough to reveal himself to you. Mm -hmm. It's a really important idea as we keep moving forward. It isn't because you were good enough to become a Christian that you became a Christian. It was because God was good enough to reveal himself to you that you became a Christian. I want us to turn really quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Just to see if these ideas are right, if we're interpreting these ideas rightly. Here the um, Apostle Paul is talking about these ideas, and he starts talking about the wise. So Jesus talks about the wise and the understanding. Paul's talking about the wise. So we know that there's probably the same ideas in their minds and hearts. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. thing as revealed. It's when God, in his good heart of love, chooses to reveal himself to someone. We can see that in verse 23 from that same chapter. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if these things are true, church, if these things are true, what should happen in our hearts? This truth, just about more than anything else, should humble us. These, these truths should make us the humblest people we could ever be. You, you hear what, what these verses are saying? God didn't save us because there was something about us that deserved his grace. God didn't save us because we stood out in some way. The only reason God saved us was because of his sheer mercy and grace. Mm -hmm. He picked ordinary people who don't stand out to show that it's his grace that saves people. Mm -hmm. If he picked the rich and the famous 
And the powerful people would think, well, God must love riches and fame and power. But actually, he's just a God of grace. He actually doesn't care how rich and powerful you are. He actually isn't concerned, first and foremost, how successful you are. That's not why he shows mercy. It's just in his heart to do it. And that's why he chooses ordinary people like you and me. That's why he favors those people when he chooses who he's going to save. Because he chose ordinary people like us, we can truly say, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Mm -hmm. I don't feel better than anyone because I'm a Christian. Because it says right here that God chose weak and ordinary people. So that means I don't boast. It means I become humble. Reason two, we should be humble. Something that is really heavy is that a lot of us in this room are Christians. And a lot of people have heard the exact same gospel message you have. You believed it, and they didn't. You believed God's message, and they didn't. So the question is, are you better than them? Are you wiser than they were? Is there something in you that's superior to them that caused you to respond to Jesus and they haven't yet? And the answer is absolutely not. You didn't make the difference in coming to Jesus. Christ did. Mm -hmm. Christ made the difference. You didn't muster up enough virtue or enough wisdom or enough smartness to become a Christian. Christ made the difference. He's the reason you came to him. Mm -hmm. So how could we ever feel better than someone else? I really believe it. It'd be helpful to wake up each morning and ask, why me? Why me? There's really no reason I deserve this at all. And I didn't do anything to get it. God just decided one day he's going to change my heart, and he did. And he did the same to many of you, and I trust he's going to do it to even more of us who are here. And then Jesus says, next, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus of how God's rule and how human choice all fit together. And we don't have to. Jesus doesn't go into the discussion about that. He responds with worship. God is ruling the world with his power right now. and can do literally whatever he wants to do. 
And how is he choosing to use that power? He's choosing to reach into human hearts and turn them to Jesus and save them. Mm. So that's what Jesus says. Yes, Father, this is your gracious will. Man, I'm so happy that my God acts like this. I'm so happy, happy that he reaches into hearts and saves them. I want to show you a verse. You know, the alternative to this being true, that this is how God saves people, would actually be that no one would get saved. If God didn't do the kind of things I'm talking about right now, no one would get saved. Mm -hmm. We often tend to think of our hearts as not actually that bad off, as I'm a little bit sinful, but not completely sinful. But the Bible says that we are completely sinful. Mm -hmm. We are born preferring our sins, preferring God. And without his help, what we always do is we pick our sin over God. So unless he intervenes in our hearts and changes them, none of us will ever become followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a story of the rich young ruler later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. And I'm sure many of you remember it. He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus says, follow the commandments. And he says, I have followed these things from my youth. And Jesus says, one more thing I require of you. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. But what does the guy do? What happens? He says, I can't find it, but I'll just say it. He went away sad because he had many riches. That's a picture of what happens apart from this help from God. Is we wander away from God, and we choose other things besides God. So when Jesus says that this is your gracious will, he is not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. Every time God reaches into a heart and changes it, it's his gracious will. Mm -hmm. We didn't deserve for him to do this. I didn't deserve for him to do this. It was his gracious will. And that's why we're able to rejoice like Jesus rejoices. Because every time he chooses to rescue someone from sin and death, it's his gracious will. move on to verse 22. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. So Jesus has the same authority as the Father. We just heard about in verse 21, how it's the Father who hides and the Father who reveals. And now Jesus says that that same greatness, that big, same bigness, that same authority is the authority that I have and the authority with which I also save. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What does that mean? No one knows the Father except the Son. In the Bible, Knowing someone is a word that means an intimate relationship. God the Father and God the Son have an intimate relationship of love. And it is the most beautiful relationship you could ever imagine. They're fully known by each other. They fully delight in one another. They fully care for one another. 
There's never anything wrong with that relationship. It's never been threatened. There's never no envy. There's no jealousy. There's no brokenness. We have earthly fathers, and some of us have great experiences with our earthly fathers. Some of us have hard experiences with our earthly fathers. And God is a father to Jesus like no other. Like no other father. And then Jesus says, no one knows the father except the son. So Jesus shares that exact same relationship with the father. Full of love. Full of delight. Full of happiness. The kind of relationship that the father and the son have is the kind of relationship we're all craving for. Every one of us. The relationship that Jesus has with God is the relationship with God that we all want. Mm -hmm. That's why we go around the world and stuff things into our bodies and into our mouths that aren't God because we're really longing for that. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, that's the relationship that we're longing for. See this relationship on full display when Jesus is baptized? Does anyone remember what God the Father says at Jesus' baptism? Just shout it out if you remember it. Yeah. That moment captures the relationship of the Father and the Son. The Father completely pleased in his Son. And that's the pleasure that we want to feel from God. Which makes these next words so amazing. No one knows the Father, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Mm -hmm. What happens when the Son reveals the Father to you is you start relating to the Father like the Son does. The relationship that you crave to have more than anything else in the world becomes yours when Jesus reveals the Father to you. Mm -hmm. So what is it that Jesus is showing you? This, this, these verses are about revelation. Jesus is revealing things to you. What is he revealing to you? He is revealing to you the thing that your heart thirsts for more than anything else in the whole world. Mm -hmm. What you need, what you long for, what you want, what you were made for, is what Jesus is revealing to you when he shows himself and his Father to you. Mm -hmm. So, oh, church, we should feel so blessed. So blessed that he has shown us the, himself and that we have and enter into this intimacy with him. What we should think and feel about this is that when we became Christians, this was the greatest moment of our lives. There's a lot of great moments that have happened in your life. Nothing will ever compete with this. Nothing will ever come close to this. This is the greatest moment of my life and the greatest moment of your life if you've experienced it. You might not even remember when it was. You might not even know when it was. But I promise you, when you look back on your life from eternity, you will think that was the high point of my life when God brought me to life. Mm -hmm. Which means that if you're a Christian right now, no matter how much hardship you're going through, I mean, your life could literally be awful right now. If you're a Christian, no matter how much hardship you're going through, you should think of yourself as the most fortunate person on the planet. Because mm -hmm. God the Father revealed himself to you. Mm -hmm. 
He chose you specifically. He, he chose you when you didn't love him, when you didn't want him, when you didn't think anything of him, and he just said, I'm going to show myself to this person, and that's how we became Christians. Mm -hmm. The level of mercy and grace we're seeing here is beyond our comprehension. I want to speak a word to visitors and guests who might think, well, how, how can I become a Christian? How, how can I become a Christian if this is what it takes? And one thing that we see again and again and again throughout the whole scriptures is that if you want Jesus, you can have him. Mm -hmm. If you want Jesus, you can have him. What this verse is teaching us is that you didn't create the wanting. God did. Mm -hmm. But if you want him, you can have him. Mm -hmm. There is no one here today that the doors of heaven are shut towards. Not a single person. If you want him, the doors are open for you. Mm -hmm. Come to him. Come to him. Mm -hmm. All this verse teaches us is that we're completely dependent on him to respond rightly. God wants us to have that level of dependence on him. That in order to come to him, we need him to do that too. So if you're sitting here and you don't want him, if, if you're like, I, I don't want him, what well, should you do then? Just start praying to this good father and ask him that you would want him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just ask him that he would start to change your heart. And all we see through the book of Luke is he's just a good father who loves to answer prayers. So don't ever, don't ever think that this is a reason not to come to Jesus. Right. I, I think this is the reason to come to Jesus. Hmm. There's no mind control here. There's no manipulation here. There's no anything like that. It's just God changing our hearts so that we choose to come to him. And believers, we might tend to think, well, if God is ruling over everything and everyone all the time, why would we ever pray and evangelize? Why would we ever pray and evangelize? Doesn't that seem futile? And the answer is absolutely not. So, so we're, we're in verses 21 through 24. You see that in our Bibles. Jesus rejoices in the Father's will. And he says these things right after verses 1 through 20, where Jesus sends them out to pray and evangelize. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't, there's no actual distinction between these things. They're actually put right together. And if you think about it, they actually go together. Mm -hmm. Why would you pray for someone if God couldn't actually save them? And why would you tell someone about Jesus if God can't actually save them? But what we see in this text is that he can and he does. He can and he does save. And so this is a reason to pray. This is a reason to evangelize. I just want to read to you a little quote from a guy named J.I. Packer who helps us put these things together. He says, when God sends us to evangelize, he sends us to act as vital links in the chain for his purpose for the salvation of his people. The fact that he has such a purpose 
and that it is, so we believe, a sovereign purpose that cannot be thwarted, does not imply that, after all, our evangelizing is not needed for its fulfillment. In other words, God is sovereign, and he has decided to use our prayers and our preaching to rescue people. How could that make us want to pray and evangelize less? That makes me want to pray and evangelize more. What should, I hope what happen is that we would join Jesus in rejoicing in these truths, embracing these truths. And that way we will keep telling others about Jesus, keep pleading with them, keep loving them, with the added sense of awe that God is doing whatever he wants to do and saving whoever he wants to save. Doesn't that sound like an exciting life? You just go around praying for people and telling people about Jesus, and all of a sudden God's saving them right before your eyes. It's the kind of life I want for us to live together as a family. And it will increase our courage. It will increase our joy. It will increase our love. The bigger and bigger we see our king, and the more rule he has over the world, over every area and over every person. We move on to verses 23 and 24. It says, Then, returning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And he Bible. Great men, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, looking forward to Jesus. And they only saw predictions of what we see right now. Mm. We see more than they saw. We're more fortunate than Moses. We're more fortunate than David. We're more fortunate than Abraham. We get to see Jesus crucified for sins. They only got to hear about the future, the promise of his coming. We get to see the story be fulfilled in Jesus when he comes and he suffers and he dies and he rises for us. Mm -hmm. my, my hope for us this evening is that we would leave this room feeling like the most fortunate people who ever lived. The most fortunate people who ever lived. God reached into our hearts and changed them. And we also live after Christ came. We live in a time where we get to see all of who he is and what he's done for us. It could not get any better than this. 
It couldn't get any better than this as we wait for him to come back. And as we suffer, and as we serve, and as we go through the hardship of this life, it couldn't get any better than this because of these things that are true. So let's rejoice with Christ. God is hiding these things from the wise and understanding and revealing them to little children. And that blessed our eyes, are our eyes, because they see what they see in our ears, because they hear what we hear. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are so strong and so mighty that you could overcome my sin and my unbelief and anyone's sin and anyone's unbelief in this room. I pray for anyone who's wondering if even they could be a Christian, you would confirm to them right now that yes, yes, they can. Help us to feel more fortunate than we've ever felt. Help us to feel more awestruck that we're Christians. And help us to worship you now as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.